Welcome to IMTV. I'm Alan Keyes, and this is Let's Talk America. Well, we are sitting here at the time that this is being recorded on the day uh, when, by all reports, uh, it is quite possible that the whole impeachment thing in the Senate, the trial, is going to come to a head and they'll actually have a vote. Uh, and, and so I am really pleased and think it's very fitting that my guest in the course of the next little while will beach uh, Cheryl Chumley, uh, an opinion editor with the Washington Times, somebody who has been writing really superlative articles going into various aspects, not just of the impeachment trial, but also of some of the other things that are going on now that uh, I think connote the great challenge to constitutional government in America and whether we're going to get through it okay. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking with her about today, so you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. I'm Alan Keyes. I just want to let you know that on a recurring basis every Tuesday, we're going to have a guest, Mike Adams, the Health Ranger. He's going to be joining us to talk about the whole array of challenges, both in terms of our health as a people and as individuals and our health as a nation. We'll be looking at those things through the eyes of someone who has thought deeply about many things and who has many great ideas to share with me and with you and with everyone who tunes in to Let's Talk America on Tuesdays when we meet with the Health Ranger to talk about how we sustain the health of our liberty. Welcome back. Um, it's a great pleasure for me to introduce to you Cheryl Chumley. Welcome. Uh, glad to have you with us. You have been writing some very insightful and informative articles now for quite a while, not only looking at the impeachment and various aspects of that from time to time. You've dealt with George Soros. You've dealt with some of the things, I think, that suggest that, how can I put it, this whole impeachment farce, as, as I think of it, has been a symptom of the state or condition of our constitutional self-government. Uh, and at least for me, it's, it's a sign that, that uh, you know, the metaphor draining the swamp, which we thought was just applied to the bureaucracy in some way, seems to me we now have evidence, uh, and it's especially true on the Democrat side, uh, that there is a kind of almost anti-constitutional culture that's developed in Washington uh, because the Constitution was written to enshrine uh, the working sovereignty of the American people over their own affairs. And it looks like in various ways, individuals and, and institutions or elements of the institutions have gotten out of control. Uh, and the reaction produced this trial because Donald Trump became the focal point of the possibility that not only the, are the American people catching on to this, but that they actually mean to do something about it. And this is the kind of reaction we're getting. Am I wrong? First off, it's great to be here with you, Dr. Alan Keyes. Big fan. Uh, I'm so happy to be able to chat on this topic with you today. And second off, I think you put that very well. I think instead of looking at impeachment in a bubble, we need to look at the larger picture. And it's not just the left's teardown of the Constitution. If you look at 
the picture even larger. It's the removal of God from America. Mm. You know, America was built on the concept of God-given rights, of individual rights coming from a heavenly creator, not from government. And the left has been very clever and very successful in recent years about removing all things God from society and instituting a much more secular type of government, political system, and culture than founders intended. Founders warned us that this democratic republic was only intended for people who were moral and virtuous. And where do we get those morals and virtues mm. Virtues from Judeo-Christian values? So when you, re- when you remove that, this is where you get the chaos. And as you rightly pointed out, impeachment is a symptom of that chaos. And I think also the way it's been conducted, if we could talk for one second about the process itself. Because I've heard a lot of things being said about the the impeachment removal process uh, that struck me as just totally contrary to the actual thinking the founders did about it. Um, Because people, for instance, uh, have talked about it like it is meant somehow to deal with just ordinary law-breaking. Well, why do they call them high crimes? Ordinary law-breaking does serious crime, grave crimes, and so forth. What is a high crime? And I've always, when people ask me that, I say, well, it's quite obviously crimes committed by people in very high governmental positions. Why would that be important? Because there are certain positions in government where if you're the enforcer of the law, who enforces the law on you? Right? That's a very serious question. But in another way, who polices the chief executive? Who polices the Congress? Who polices the Supreme Court? when they start to go astray. And in our country, that's supposed to be done in a way that answers to the people. And they were grappling with this question of how you make sure the people are involved and yet still get due process, which is to say the process that under the Constitution is due to anybody who's accused of something, high or low, uh, in America. Uh, and, And part of my problem when I watched the House process, they had no respect whatsoever for the due process that an investigator has to follow in order to produce valid evidence. They just disregarded it. It was like it was some kind of joke with Schiff and these people, uh, that they had to show respect for the president's constitutional rights. After all, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And one's responsibility in an office to which you have been elected by the American people, that is something that belongs to you. It's your possession as president, and you're going to be held accountable for it. They treated it as if they didn't have to show respect for his rights as a person. Am I wrong? I just thought it was a travesty the way they went about the business of pretending that they were collecting or presenting something that justified the charge. Well, Democrats have a talent for deceit. And if you go back even farther, before Trump was even inaugurated, talk of impeachment was being whispered. Once he took office, it just started. It started with the Russia collusion and the Russia obstruction of justice and all the fake reports and dossiers and and statements and so forth. Uh, People know what's going on. And when you talk about the impeachment articles that were discussed in in the House, you're right. It, w- it was an utter 
travesty. It was an utter mocking of our Constitution. There was not one witness there who brought factual evidence to show that this president committed an impeachable offense. What you had was a, a waving of one magic wand after another, uh, Schiff and Nadler and all the Democrats. And what's more outrageous to me is the media would take the lies that were given during testimony in the day and then report them as fact in headlines and on Twitter and on Facebook, where people don't read full contacts and, and full truths. They only read headlines. And so then that media cycle would change quickly the lies told in the House on the testimony into truths and that would carry us into the next day of further deceits so people forget they forget that nancy pelosi promised that uh donald trump had committed an impeachable offense called bribery that he had practically admitted to bribery they forget that adam schiff and nadler had to get impeachment done before christmas because it was a national security issue they forget the 30 plus days it took to bring finally the articles of impeachment to the senate it, you know it's just people have short memories but what's worse is the media just sells these democrats lies and they continue to do it just red face, shamefacedly, but somehow, Alan, they still sleep at night. And to mm. me, that's the big puzzle of this all. Well, see, when I was following the developments in the House, uh, it seemed to me from the get-go, and especially once they had released the transcript, uh, but even without that, uh, once you have been able to think through what they were actually accusing the president of doing, they were accusing the president of having actually suggested to the Ukrainian president that he ought to investigate corruption. This was, by the way, one of the things in the agreement between the United States and the Ukraine that led to various aspects of our partnership, strategic partnership, it was called, with them. One of the things that was specified on the Ukrainian side was that they had to be going after the corruption that had been notoriously an aspect uh, that was weakening their ability uh, to uh, establish a viable hold on the government. Now, this was all formulated back in the Democrat days, right? Uh, uh, but uh, it also included uh, uh, amendments by G.W. Bush, as I recall. Oh, well, no, earlier than that. No, it would have been G.W. Bush, 2005. Um, and that, that actually led to a treaty where we mutually agree that we're going to have strong cooperation investigating crimes that take place in the Ukraine and et cetera. And they're going to cooperate with us in that, and we're going to cooperate with them. The president was then acting under that mandate, right, and that arrangement, and he was asking, after the guy that preceded this guy had shut down an investigation, contrary to the spirit of that treaty, by the way, um, he was asking that it be reopened and pursued. That's not a crime. That's, uh, uh, the treaties we make are, by the way, part of the supreme law of the land, uh, like all laws made pursuant thereto. Uh, and that means Trump was acting to do his job. He's supposed to see to it that the laws are faithfully executed. That argument was eventually made by his counsel, and it's a true argument, but it means that from the first, they were accusing him of doing something he not only had power to do, but responsibility to do. And, and then they went out and talked about it like we proved he did a crime. How did they get away with this except to bray it loudly through all their different outlets? 
But here's my question. Has there really been, in the course of this uh, trial, something that refutes, that exposes, if you like, the absolute baselessness of that accusation when it came to that whole phone call and everything? Because I actually think the fuss that some people made over Bolton's possible testimony seemed aimed at, I don't know, they were acting like there was something to be guilty of. You can't tease out of Bolton's book something to be guilty of or something the president was guilty of when there's nothing to be guilty of in the activity. Do you see what I'm saying? I I do see what you're saying. And I, I just want to point to the double standard that's been going on here. Whenever the Democrats bring a witness forward or when they had brought witnesses forward, it was always second and third hand information. It was always he said, she said, and out of that, we think this is what the president was thinking or planning to do. But the American people were asked to take these witnesses at their face value and believe them, believe that they were telling the truth. And by the sheer bulk of bringing in as many witnesses who could testify to those same second and third party statements, the American people were supposed to buy that as truth. No questions. And yet the president in the transcripts and by some of these witnesses own testimony, not only did he say, no, I don't want a a quid pro quo, But he also said that he wanted the president to do the right thing. He was not the one who brought up Joe Biden's name or Hunter Biden's name. And the president has denied several times that any quid pro quo was was part of his action. That combined with the fact that Ukraine got the money. So. The double standard here is whenever a Democrat says something or a Democratic witness, the American people is supposed to believe it without question. But when President Trump says something, we're supposed to question and red flag it and hold suspicion. And when Bolton came along and the New York Times reported on what Bolton's book was supposed to have said, bringing yet another bombshell against this president to convict him of an impeachable offense, first and foremost... We didn't have that book. We didn't have Bolton's testimony. So we're supposed to believe the New York Times was reporting accurately what Bolton was saying in his book. The same New York Times that's been busted so many times in the past of anti-Trumpism, of outright lies and deceptions. So there's a huge double standard going on here that seems to be summed this way. If you're a Democrat, then you cannot tell a lie. If you're a Republican, everything you say is a lie. And that, to me, is the biggest question mark that's hung over this whole impeachment process. And I tell you what, I don't think the American people buy into it. I think that's why you see thousands of people lining the streets to see and hear Trump speak whenever he's at a rally in any of these states. People know the truth. They know that this whole impeachment has been a farce. Well, I think they do. By the way, but uh, I'm, I'm, uh, but sadly, I'm not sure that's on account of anything that's happened in any stage of the process. I think it's because for a lot of people, at a common sense level, once they get wind of what the Burisma investigation involved, and they start considering the position that has been gotten out there by various channels, including the Washington Times. I think a lot more people know that Joe Biden was involved in, in the investigation that was being shut down and, and so forth. But here's a question about the process itself. It's separated into 
impeachment and trial. And I think, in terms of American law, stretching all the way back in the common, that corresponds to a distinction between what happens in the grand jury and what happens in the courtroom. Yes? Um, Now, one expects a certain kind of fairness to be visible in the results of a grand jury process. But the grand jury process itself is usually not visible to people. Uh, It often takes place in in a way that's under the control of the prosecutors, and they do it in secret and so forth. That's why I didn't get all upset when the Democrats were trying to use their majority to go into the back room and cook something up, uh, because that looks like a grand jury process. It's supposed to be the whole house, by the way, because the Constitution doesn't recognize parties. See? And that's where they all go wrong. There are no parties in the Constitution, never mentioned. Never political parties, never mentioned. So when you deal with anything according to the Constitution, you have to do it in a way that is blind to parties. But of course, nothing works anymore in that way. So it's in Congress. But the process was out there. We could see it. We could see that it was a mess. What was supposed to happen at a trial, the very first thing that's supposed to happen, is you give two things. You give the individual who's accused an opportunity to stand in front of the judge and say, uh, there's no cause for trial here. I didn't do anything. Uh, and that's the actual best argument to be made. Why didn't that happen in this process? Because that would have been, should have been the first business of the court of impeachments to consider whether or not the evidence that's being presented warrants a trial. And whose job was it to do that? The, the, the best answer I can give you is what I've noticed in terms of process uh, over the weeks as, as this impeachment trade has gone forth is that impeachment is, is a court issue. Uh, it's, it's compared to a court issue when it benefits the Democrats. It's a political issue when it benefits the Democrats. It, we, we can't come to a consensus in this country, it seems like, between the media and the politicians and, and the players involved with the official impeachment, impeachment process, whether impeachment is supposed to be a political process or akin to a court process. It, you hear it both ways. And it, it just seems like it's been so highly politicized that any chance of those old-fashioned American judicial values of due process were stripped away long ago. But they you know, actually were never. Cheryl, he, they he, were Yeah, he hasn't I, had I understand. Process. In fact, they were. Let me put it, let me explain myself. In fact, you're right. They have been stripped away. But the advantage of having a Constitution is that when they start to strip away things that are in the Constitution, we get to notice. And it's in the Constitution. Why? I say it's in the Constitution because it says very clearly, when the president is being tried, only in this circumstance, this one circumstance, the chief justice shall preside. Why did they do that? I've been asking everybody, why did they put the chief justice in the chair? By the way, the Senate didn't put the chief justice in the chair. The chief justice is not sitting by vote of the Senate. And if he's not sitting by vote of the Senate, guess what? He can't be removed by vote of the Senate. Not in the context of the impeachment court. They can't do that. They are jurors. And jurors don't get to remove the judge. 
in order for them to remove Roberts, they would have to adjourn as a court, and he'd have to do the adjourning, and then they'd have to reassemble as the Senate. But they wouldn't have anything to consider until the House acted on a bill of impeachment against the Chief Justice. How come nobody's thought this through? It does have the attribute of a courtroom because a judge appointed by the Constitution sits in the chair and cannot be overruled by the jury. Has nobody noticed this? Well, first off, I'm not an attorney, so I I wouldn't be able to speak that deeply, that detailed to that. But I will say that most Americans are not watching this process as it goes day to day. Uh, You and I, as part of our jobs, as part of who we are in the media, we watch these trials, these hearings unfold, and we listen to the specifics each and every day. But most Americans aren't paying attention. And I suspect that a lot of the reason that this impeachment hearing has gone the way it's gone it's because there is no pressure from the American people to insist on certain basic judicial uh, you know, rights like due process and so forth. So a lot of it is the American people, I think, aren't paying as close attention as just the few people in the media, few people in the lo- field of law. Well, I, I, I think you're right. Um, and I think that's a, sh- a, 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 tra- a, a shame Uh, And one personal conviction I'll share with you. We're coming down to the end of this segment. We'll have a chance to go into other things uh, when we get back. But um, because I I have come away from watching the preliminaries and and then the beginning of the trial with one thought in mind. Um, I I think that if the Republicans were, as I think Trump actually may lead them to do, people are worried about uh, the November election, and I'm not quite sure why. Because uh, I see no signs whatsoever that the American people are going to take a man who's been doing a good job and kick him out, which is what they want to do in picture, because he's doing his job. I don't think I think that the, the the deep state and the Democrats and even some of the uh, squishy Republicans may get they hate him and they can't stand his talk and so forth. So the American people aren't hating him. You know, New Jersey was a blue state. And 100,000 people wanted to come. I don't know in my lifetime that I've heard of pre-election events this far out that had anything like those numbers in terms of public interest. Uh, So I would suggest that maybe the American people have another surprise in store in 2020 for all the people who think this election is going to be a contest. But if it were to work out, for example, that the Democrats get the punishment they deserve for the travesty they held in the House, then we'll come back and both houses will belong to one side. And at that point, I think Chief Justice Roberts should, by majority vote in both houses, as contrary again to some of the usual blather, the Constitution does not require a two-thirds majority in all cases, only in the case involving the president. But leave that aside. That's another argument. Um, But assuming that they should, I think Chief Justice Roberts should be removed. He is the one who's supposed to introduce the concerns with due process and constitutional legality and the rights of persons guaranteed under the Constitution. And he sat in that chair, hasn't said a word, acted like a potted plant. It's a disgrace to the court. Uh, And I say it emphatically. 
Uh, and, and, and I think that it's a shame because this could have been something that helped the American people to get a good handle on the degree to which their self-government is being usurped by a little clique. And we'll talk about that a little more because I think you've written some good things about that when we get back. We are raising a generation of young people who believe that as Americans, we have no ground for moral agreement. Welcome back. I'm talking to Cheryl Chumley, uh, who is uh, opinion editor at the Washington Times. And by the way, I I have to say that... uh, uh, you have kept up a really high standard. Uh, this is not true of everybody in the conservative world as they deal with uh, the uh, era of Donald Trump. Uh, but I think your writing and, and your commentary has been uh, excellent, and I am grateful for it because it's not everybody who maintains that standard. And one of the, the reasons I was so excited to have you on was that I think you have a grasp of, uh, let's leave aside the whole impeachment thing, its results, just for a minute. And talk about the impression one gets from a lot of the facts and information that have come out, whether it's Joe Biden's problem, whether it's the problem of George Soros's involvement at various levels of our politics. I think that things have been coming out in the universe of this whole concern that have really revealed um, what are the details of the, of the world that is implied in this deep swamp metaphor. And I think you you have written well about a lot of the aspects that actually confirm that it's it's almost as if deep swamp isn't adequate to describe what's happening. Uh, But it it, it is there. Um, Haven't you gotten that feeling over the course of the last couple of years where we're starting to see more than the tip of the iceberg of what this is all about? It's it's funny you you put it that way. It's almost like... It's almost like since Trump took over, Trump took over in the White House, that that the curtain is being peeled back, not Mm. just for Americans, but for freedom lovers around the world who look to America for direction in patriotism and sovereignty and individual rights and so forth. Uh, I, I think there are some of us who always regard government with a certain element of skepticism. And I think that's healthy. I think more people, I think everybody in America should look at government with suspicion because government's main goal is to grow and to get more power. And that comes in direct conflict to what we as individuals with God-given rights should have in this country. But I think a lot of people in years past have looked at some of the the talk about global elitism as if it was a conspiracy theory, as Mm. if the only people who spoke in those terms, using that phrase, uh, talking about those matters, had tinfoil hats on their heads and, and so forth. But I think Trump has done a remarkable job of showing us what the deep state, which is what he calls it, 
what the deep state is and how that deep state, how our supposed nonpartisan patriotic uh, intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies have actually been working actively against certain provisions in the Constitution that are set for the individuals. And they've been doing it on behalf of themselves to enrich their own pockets or Mm -hmm. on behalf of their global partners. So I think that not just you and I, but Americans in general are getting a better sense, a better understanding of what's been going on behind the layers of government for so many years. And like Trump or hate him, you got to give him credit for shining some light where light has been needed to be shined for so long. Now, in various ways, I've noticed, and you did an article a few days ago, I think it was, in which you focused a little bit on George Soros. And I think he's relevant to all of this because he just keeps cropping up. You know, and he cropped up in the uh, discussion of the assault on our borders and, and this whole uh, organization uh, that is there and how they're being funded to create these caravans that are being used as a kind of weapon uh, to break down our ability to control our own borders. He, he came up during the impeachment business. Uh, I was reading articles about uh, that uh, ambassador that Trump doesn't, uh, didn't like, who was the ambassador to Ukraine, and, and uh, she was uh, doing things to support some organization that was basically funded with Soros money and, and, and things of that kind uh, going on. And then you get uh, um, uh, other things where... Uh, he, uh, aside from his statement in Davos, basically declaring war on Trump, it's also an involvement in politics now getting down to the grassroots to use money so that he can capture offices that can then be used to debase law enforcement in cities and towns, which seems to be one aspect of the Democrat Party's agenda now, uh, to uh, make sure that either criminals don't get into jail or when they get there, they get to become a significant part of the electorate. <laughs> Why we would do this, I don't know. But this is what he's working for. You looked into this a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And if anybody is going to have a kind of mentality that says, well, that sure looks like a conspiracy to me, wouldn't George Soros be the proof of it? You know, George Soros is, like you rightly say, his money, his fingers are in about every progressive cause not just in America, but around the world. And it's not a conspiracy theory because all you have to do is go to opensecrets.com, look up some of his websites, and you can see where the money goes. Now, he's got a lot of dark money endeavors that are harder to track. But for this particular commentary piece that you're speaking of, I looked at Politico, which is hardly a right-wing reporting place. They're pretty liberal. They're pretty mainstream. And they were reporting on George Soros' infusion of money into district attorney's races in the last few years. And they're not the only ones. If you look at where the money goes, George Soros has been putting his money into local district attorney's office around the nation. And why this should concern the average American is... First off, this is in your backyard. This isn't at the UN. This isn't at the federal government. This is your local law enforcement. So what happens is uh, a criminal gets arrested, a suspect gets arrested. Say it's an illegal immigrant and he gets thrown in jail. Well, a law and order, uh, you know, sheriff's department backed by the DA and so forth would keep that person in jail or press for him to be deported. 
a social justice warrior trained by George Soros and funded by George Soros would want that illegal released into the into the population. It, you know, it's it's all this social justice form of law enforcement that George Soros is funding in backyards around America, in communities around America. And these, this is the first line of law enforcement defense for most Americans. So mm-hmm. it's going to have a significant impact. Well, it seems to be in line, sadly, with what we've been seeing, because I've noticed that some of the district attorney races, were they in New York and other places, where Queens or, or one of these places, where they actually run on platforms that seem to be kind of you know, we used to have people who were death on crime and anti-crime. And, that, and now we have all these people who are, who are uh, kind of looking for, I don't know what, building criminal dynasties or something. They, they, they are looking to create and placate beforehand um, a criminal electorate. And I often like to remind people that in the Declaration of Independence, the people who are actually forming the government are referred to, I think it's three times, as the good people of these colonies. Right. And, and people think, I guess, that that's just a polite way of speaking, but it's not, y'all. It was one of the premises of civil society. The founders saw in common when they read John Locke and these folks, a, a, a government that, is, is, that represents a civil society is a government that represents people who are committed to abiding in certain standards of justice. Those, as the Declaration says, that are endowed by God. But, of course, I, I'm going to be taken off the air for saying that these days. But uh, it is still true. That's what, that's what the words say. So they're endowed by God. But does not, by implication, include the bad folks? How can they be suggesting that felons should be voting from prison? I don't get this. It has no logic to it that somebody who has just proven that they don't respect the civil compact, as it were, by committing a crime and being judged guilty of that crime by their peers, you go to jail, and then you're going to vote from jail for the politician who promises to get you out and let you go on committing your crimes. The Democrats may think this is a wonderful future, but isn't this a platform that's going to get every American up in arms to throw the whole party out? I think this whole process of impeachment and other things that are coming out It makes me feel like, and I, by the way, backed away from this party system in criticism uh, years ago, but I think right now the Democrats are acting with a, not even a disdain, with an eagerness to overthrow the constitutional system and every assumption made. You think it's not getting out to people that this is happening? Because I think when you have somebody running at the local level promising to let felons vote from prison, it's got to bother some people that they've spent their whole life obeying the law and these guys are not losing their voting privileges because they break it? Well, the, the Democrats have become the party of socialists, which is just one step away from calling them Marxists or communists. So in my mind, there's really little difference between the ideologies. If, if Once you step away from the Constitution, then you're going down a path that this country doesn't belong. And if you look at what the leader of the Democratic Party said a few months ago, Tom Perez, head of the DNC, he talked about uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the card-carrying, open, bragging socialist, as being the face of the new Democratic Party. 
Mm. And if you look at how that's played out, Nancy Pelosi, a woman who was supposed to have had so much power that she shoved through Obamacare, through the objections of the entire American public, aside from her leftist base, this is the woman who caved to the socialist infusion in her party. So the whole party has just collapsed in a socialist uh, I, I guess charade, and you you look at how they're pressing these liberal policies around America, not just turning blind eyes to felons and and hoping that they get the vote in jail, but making law enforcement into say an issue of racism. That the only reason there are so many black people in jail is not because they committed crimes. It's yeah. because of the color of their skin. Uh, the only reason that illegal immigrants want to come into America is for jobs. It's not to do any kind of drug sales or trafficking or anything illegal. It, it's, it's all for the good of the immigrant family. And the Democrats are all about flipping law and order on its head in order to create a topsy-turvy, chaotic environment, which... In, in the cycle they have set up, gives them more inroads for even bigger government. It's just a way that they can capture more power in their own hands. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that, that you put that exactly right, because what, what occurs to me as you were, were, were talking was the so-called dialectic of history. But America's experience has, just by the by, proven that, that Marx was absolutely wrong, right? Uh, the operation of the free enterprise system of capitalism doesn't necessarily produce a proletariat that then gets all revolutionary and, and everything has to be overthrown. So what these guys are doing, it seems to me, Charlotte, is, is they're helping it along. You know, since chaos doesn't come about naturally, since naturally what happened in America was it got more and more people into the working middle class and the middle class, more and more people living it better, having better jobs, getting better remuneration, able to send their children to halfway decent schools and get an education and so forth and so on. Since that was what was really happening, they're going to have to look for the contradictions they can aggravate. And there's one contradiction between people who obey the law and people who break the law. So they're now trying to take that contradiction and turn it into a weapon uh, against the stability of the society. They knew the racial thing was there, so they're exploiting uh, that uh, and, and uh, pretending to be against racism by erecting an ideology that's now racist against the whites. Uh, and I always find black folks who get involved with all of that, I find it kind of, ah, uh, you people don't get it, do you? The, 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 the folks who were there during the... Uh, uh, civil rights revolution, we're saying judge people by the content of their character. And you're now a party that says judge white people by the color of their skin. And I'm thinking, yeah, that'll go on for just as long as it takes for you to get power from some other resource. And then if black people get in your way, they can be discriminated against and you'll come up with some other reason for that. The premise of equality once rejected in that regard is gone for everybody. And it's just a matter of power after that, whether you're on the short end of the stick. Um, so it seems like they have abandoned the whole premise that makes us one people. Isn't that why they are, in a sense, globalists? Not because they want to cooperate with other countries and so forth, but because they actually think that the nation we are should not exist, and they mean to erase us, to disintegrate us, uh, and, and, and because that's what it's going to take to get them into absolute power. Yes, 
And I think you saw that particularly under Barack Obama. Uh, uh, not a week went by when Obama wasn't apologizing for America, wasn't somehow trying to undercut or, or make us feel ashamed for the exceptional nation that we have. He was the president of, you didn't build that, the government did. He was the president who went around and, and apologized for America doing this and starting wars and, and creating chaos with the radical Muslims and so forth. And so it's just, the Democrats have been on this teardown of America because I think they actually hate America. They, they wave the flag and speak the patriotic language when it benefits them, like Nancy Pelosi does on Capitol Hill, all of a sudden she's an expert on founding fathers and, and the Republic and everything when it's time for impeachment. But at the borders, uh, calling for all God's people, MS-13 gang members, to be allowed into America. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a way that the left has been able to exploit to gain control. And the biggest travesty here is that our emerging generations are being trained that this is the way to go. Our younger generations in schools right now are being taught that capitalism is a racist, misogynist system that has no place in a successful nation, and that socialism is the happy, feel-good, everybody-benefits type of government. They're being taught that everything that America stands for, everything that made America great, is wrong, and everything that makes the UN and the global elites good is something that they should aspire to be. And then you have George Soros coming in with his billion dollars to fund colleges, uh, calling it his greatest endeavor in his lifetime. So the travesty here, Alan, is that it, it's not a quick fix. Mm. We've got the next generation who's, who have already been trained that socialism, socialism is the answer. Well, uh, in the, we're coming down to the wire here, but in the last moments of the show here, um, since you've been looking at this thing, and I think you have a very kind of big picture sense of it, which is rare and good in terms of uh, approaching these matters, um, as we look at this process, which may be coming to an end, and whatever was involved in it and all the things that happened, uh, it looks like it's going to come out with Donald Trump in office uh, heading toward an election. Step number one, about the whole impeachment ploy itself. Uh, has it benefited the Democrats? Or is it going to cost them the election? And second, I think that people voted for Donald Trump, many of them, because they thought it was finally an opportunity to put somebody in office who would actually follow through on promises that were dear to the heart of the grassroots people of this country and that, by and large, have been ignored in some degree or other by both parties uh, when they actually got into office. Um, and do you think that... What has happened up to now is going to contribute to a further consolidation because it seems to me a lot of people are saying that he's done his best to fulfill those promises in a lot of areas and that hasn't been lost on folks. So what's the impact that all of this is going to have on the election and is that an opportunity that is part of what we need to be thinking about? How we take advantage of the opportunity of the continuation of the Trump administration. Uh, to address the question of what's happening to the oncoming generations and, and how we stop this hate attack of, of people who are wearing the cloth of American partisans but are actually the partisans 
of our destruction? Those, those are really good questions. And to answer your first, this should, the whole impeachment circus show rightly should have an impact. It should send Democrats scurrying back to their corners. It should, in a properly morally compassed America, usher in a, a 10, 20-year uh, domination of Republicans on Capitol Hill. So that's what should happen. That's the sane look at this whole impeachment charade. So what I'm saying is, in this next election, it's going to be a test. Watch what happens in this next election, and it's going to tell you how far this country has strayed. Because if Democrats keep control of the House, or worse, they win the White House and take control of the Senate, that is going to be a massive underscore of just how far this nation has strayed. And if that happens, people better panic. Because that shows the Democrats have been successful at bringing in the illegals across the border, getting them registered to vote, uh, you know, doing shenanigans at the ballot box, just corrupting the Democratic Republic to the point where socialism has tipped over into the majority. So my optimist. My optimistic answer to that is I think that Republicans should have a clean sweep come November. But if I'm wrong on that, then we're in really dark times. Yeah. And to answer your your other question about what to do about the emergence, emerging youth being trained in socialism, as parents, you, you got to school your kids. If you're a parent, I don't care how old your kid is right now. I don't care if they're newborns, if they're getting ready to go to school or if they're about to graduate high school. You got to sit down with them and read the Constitution and show them the proper direction that founding fathers wanted for this country because the public school systems aren't doing it. Mm. If, you're a, if you're a parent with financial means to pull your kid out of public school and homeschool them or privately school them, you, you got to do that. The only way to stop this socialism being, you know, forced into the minds of our youth is to put the proper tools back in their mind, the proper education. And that has to start with the parents. I think that's wonderfully true. Yes. Um, and I think that the, the prospect, the determinant difference, I think, between the positive outcome that's possible um, is that hard commitment that people who see the danger and are waking up to it need to make now, both in how they use their vote and what they're doing with their kids at home. I think you're exactly right. Um, and, and both of them, I think, have come together in a way that suggests that all the folks who argued uh, in favor of the view and voted in favor of the view that Donald Trump was an opportunity they had questions, they had doubts, they had this, they had that, but it was an opportunity that we had to grasp. Um, I think that the rest of us should be convinced by the realities we now face, but also by the testament given, not only by the opposition of his opponents, I think, but by his own actions. Uh, so that you look at what's happening right this minute, and I was thinking about it as I was watching the uh, pro-life march. Uh, first president to actually go and talk to the pro-life march. I'm a big fan of Ronald Reagan's, but Ronald Reagan didn't even do that. Um, and made a statement consonant with the underlying premises. What are pro-life people going to do? All the people who care about that moral agenda, what are you going to do to follow up on the opportunity that this offers? Um, and I think, thank you, Cheryl, for giving us a sense of 
that and the fact that it is a possibility that has in fact created an opportunity as it might also be uh, and a door, a gateway uh, to uh, tragic consequences for the country. And it all depends on whether people are willing to think through what you've been hearing today, what you can research for yourself if you start going to the Washington Times and other outlets that are actually willing to share these thoughts. Uh, think it through and then do your duty. Okay? Because uh, just like Donald Trump and all this mess, they're trying to kick him out because he was just doing his job. Well, if y'all don't do your job and think these things through and act as citizens accordingly, then you're going to end up voting yourselves out of the most important office in our country, the one that represents the implementation of our liberty. But without that vocation of citizenship you can exercise at the ballot box, uh, the United States of America we were founded to be and the nation we should still be becoming uh, will be gone. That's not an exaggeration. It's on the table right now. Good. Ponder that, as I always say, and join us again here at Let's Talk America.